Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to the Dave and Dia podcast. Starting at center from Portland, the wily veteran, Dave Deckard. And at guard from Los Angeles, the patron saint of rainbows and unicorns, your podcast MVP, Dia Miller. Well, hello, Trailblazers fans. We are turning 21 this week. I'm Dave Deckard with Dia Miller and 21 podcast. It seems like just yesterday we were two or three, and now look at us, Dia. We are all grown up. How are you doing this week? I'm doing good, Dave. It's wild to me. You know, I mean, I remember hitting like five and thinking, whoa, we've done five of these. And 21 weeks into this. It's been fun. I've really, really enjoyed it. And I think it's pretty cool that we've made it all 21 weeks. Wait till we hit 100. You're going to feel really old. I have a podcast <laughs> that's on episode 120 or something. And it's like, oh, that's pretty ancient in podcast terms. But it's good to have you here. Good to be with you as always. As Mike Rice would say, it's a pretty good week to be a Blazers fan. I guess. I mean, I mean, we've had worse. We've had worse for sure. <laughs> true. Although not so much this year, but we have seen worse. The Blazers are two and two. What do you make of this? Let's see. The wins were Detroit. The wins were the the Pistons. We won one twenty four to one hundred one. The Bucks. We lost one hundred nine to one twenty seven. The Thunder. We won one thirty three to eighty five. And the Clippers, we lost 116 to 133. So, yeah, we're two and two this week. That's not too shabby. Not now, too shabby. Boys and girls, can you find the correlation between those wins and losses? Oh. I thought you could. Yeah, I mean, the <laughs> most basic story possible. When the Blazers are facing a bad team or a bad team that's really injured, as we saw, by the way, in Orlando and in Miami and against Toronto and Detroit and <laughs> the uh, Thunder, especially the Thunder. I mean, boy, everybody was off that Thunder team. Wow, the Blazers was, looked really good. You almost started to feel bad for the other team in that case because it was it was that it was that rough. Yep, but when the Blazers face playoff teams, they're not looking so good, and that actually has held true throughout the season. They're, I believe, twenty-two and seven against teams below five hundred, and now eight and thirteen against teams above 500 and 8 and 13 is better than you know like 1 and 20 but still i mean that's a fairly significant difference first of all let's let you do the wins i mean anything okay. that you took away from detroit or yeah. oklahoma city that you particularly loved uh, you know, the Pistons game was a fun one. I feel like that was good Blazers basketball. We kept them to 101 points. Anytime there's a semblance of good defense, I get excited because that's something that we've been struggling so much with. So when I see it, and I love defense, I love good defense, and I don't get to see nearly enough of it, at least on the side of our team, I get excited. And so that was an exciting game for me because I just felt like it was a good game. It was a good win. You can't argue with it. I mean, yeah, obviously there's not a perfect game. There there, you know, there are things we can talk about that they did right or wrong or whatever, but it was it felt good. It felt like a solid good win. They played well. I was happy with it. The Thunder, you know, again, 
a good win, but against a team that I did not recognize most of the names of. We'll just put it that way. It was a team that they were broken down and beaten. And, you know, I mean, we know what that feels like. We've been there. We played Anthony Tolliver at center one time. So we know. know. I'm still going to get you that (laughs) t-shirt. We know what that feels like. Hey, Dave, what's your your romantic life like? Well, playing Anthony Tolliver at center. (laughs) You know, and the, the, the fact the matter is like i don't say that to bash on anthony tolliver because i i like him i think he's a great player but he's not a center (laughs) yeah yeah so we so i say that to say you know we we know we know what it's like to be that thunder team we've been there and i think there's a part of me that like feels for them there's also a part of me that's like man that felt good (laughs) so um you know i think the thunder is always an interesting one because they came from obviously the sonics in seattle which was kind of a little bit of a rivalry for us so i feel like we've continued to have that rivalry with with the thunder and obviously you know the whole backstory with dame and that's a fun win every time kind of like when you beat the Lakers, it's it's a win kind of like that. All right, we'll get there in a second. But first, I mean, let's sum this up. When the other team is literally incapable of scoring, Portland's defense looks pretty good. I mean, that's... <laughs> oh, <laughs> Dave, come summer. on. Give I mean, them some oh, credit. I agree with you on Detroit, though. I mean, that Detroit game was a solid NBA win of a superior team against an inferior team, which is what it should have looked like. And the untold story of some of this, I mean, that 22-7 and seven record against sub-500 teams, the subtext of that is a lot of those games have been close. And the Blazers never get blowouts to the positive. And they did. And in fact, they got two of them in one week, which I think it is good, at least something to hold on to. The Blazers put away teams authoritatively. They held the scoring down. They scored a lot themselves. It, it worked good. Now, but let's go back to the Thunder thing for a second. I had a Blazer official argue with me once that there was actually, there was never really a rivalry between Portland and Seattle. What's your take on that? Do you believe that there was a rivalry between Portland, Seattle, Sonics, and Blazers? Here's the thing about rivalries. I think they are rarely two ways. I think rarely do two teams both see each other as a rival. I think that there are long-standing rivalries that go back years. When I was a kid, the Bulls. I, the Bulls and the Lakers were, the, the to me, the rivalries that we had. You know, those were the teams that you that you just really wanted to beat. And I don't know that the Bulls or the Lakers saw Portland as a rivalry, but for us, it was. So can there be one-sided rivalries? I don't know. That being said, it's the same thing. I think OKC is a fairly mutual one at this point. But, you know, the Sonics, I I think any time that teams are in a close proximity, there tends to be a little bit of a rivalry there, whether it's spoken or not. I mean, you see that with the Clippers and the Lakers. There's nobody that likes both the Clippers and the Lakers. I don't think the Clippers and the Lakers really like each other, even if they don't come out and make a big deal out of it. And I think that that's kind of what you see with the Blazers and the Sonics. They were in the same vicinity of each other. And so I think you see a little bit of that rivalry. That's such a broad term. Because fans can have a rivalry with each other where the teams don't notice. The teams can have a rivalry with each other. Sometimes that's a franchise thing. That's sometimes an individual player thing. There are so many levels to that that I think it's hard to 
make a blanket statement of whether they have a rivalry or they don't. I think it really just comes down to how you see it. And, you know, there's not really a right or wrong answer there. Yeah, That's there is. There was a rivalry. <laughs> no, there was a rivalry. It's it's not. Because, first of all, the geographical proximity, like you said, there used to be right, right. Uh, fans when either franchise was ascendant would drive up or down I-5 and go to the other stadium and cheer for their team. And you'd see Sonics jerseys in Portland. There are some years where Portland filled up half of Key Arena. So, look, there was. And also timing. Because, I mean, you got 1978. Who knocked off the championship Blazers and ousted them from the playoffs? The Sonics. And who, by the way, won the championship the next year? The Sonics. You get uh, Clyde's Blazers in the early 90s, right? Who was the next team that came up literally right after them from the West? It was the Sonics. It was Gary Perry. Well, you get the Jazz in there a little bit, but the Jazz came later. I mean, the Sonics came right after. So it was Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, right? And so, yeah, you absolutely have that chronological rivalry as well as the geographical one. And there was some bitterness. I mean, Xavier McDaniel and Jerome Kersey and would go at it. I mean, it was it was huge because the Sonics would, were the ones who were coming up just as Portland were coming down and they wanted to knock off the Blazers and the Blazers did not like losing to Seattle. There was like, you know, which city is better? And Seattle always had the upper hand. And when Portland's basketball team won, that was a claim to no, Portland's the real Northwest city. So I think other than the Lakers and the Lakers, you're right. Don't view Portland as a rivalry. The Sonics were next. I don't think it's pronounced in Oklahoma city, although the Paul George thing has revived that a bit. And the Kevin Durant, Greg Oden thing kept it alive. But in Seattle, I think there was. That's what I'm saying about, I mean, I think those rivalries tend to ebb and flow, like depending on who's on the team, depending on what's going on, two teams can have a huge rivalry one year and the next year a, a key player gets traded to another team and it shifts or, you know, somebody retires and it goes away. Like there's just, there's so many pieces to that. So I don't know, rivalries I think are kind of subjective. But well, I would say, yeah. I said, yeah, of course they are. But if, if the Sonics weren't one, then there are none. I mean, I yeah, think. No, it, for sure. When you talk about Portland and Portland's rivalries in the past, you definitely talk about the Sonics. You definitely talk about the Lakers. You definitely talk about the Bulls. Those would be the, the ones that stand out to me in the past. I would say today, I think the Lakers will always be. It got pretty bitter with the Jazz there for a while, too, with Carl yeah, Malone and Brian yeah. Grant. And, you know, the whole thing with uh, Oklahoma was a big one. In the last couple of years. And I think they saw us that way too for that time. Right. So I, that that's the one that I kind of keep going back to. I Didn't we write an article? I think we wrote something about about this. Maybe. About rivalries. That was like 21 podcasts ago or articles. So I don't remember. <laughs> In any case, yeah. back to the games here. Now, the simplest explanation, I think it's the truest one, is that obviously the Bucks and the Clippers are much, much better teams. And by the way, the Blazers needed to make some kind of a statement against both and utterly, utterly failed in each. It was, it was. Well, they made a bad. statement. It just wasn't the one we were hoping yeah, for. Yeah, exactly. The statement was, right? So, <laughs> I mean, okay, let's, let's take the Bucks first. The Bucks are the less damaging of the two because you have Giannis, right? What he exposed is the Blazers just have no no, no, zero, zero, nothing. Interior defense, the only glimmer of hope in that game. I thought Nurkic moved around a bit. He's not capable of stopping the league MVP and, you know, Greek freak kind of, he has no hope. Nobody does. He at least tried and at least got out and in in that game. But the Blazers are really, 
really super vulnerable inside. And Giannis just looked like he was out there against nobody. And teams are going to notice that. Now, I know that's not the three-pointer. That's not the Vogue thing. But I think in a targeted playoff series, you're going to have to really watch out if the Blazers draw someone who can score on the interior well, because I bet opposing coaches are going to push that. The more damaging one, though, was the Clippers game. And the damaging part about that was less that Portland lost and more that they came out playing zero, de- I mean, negative defense. It was literally, they they should have a bumper sticker that says, please score on me. I mean, it was terrible. The Clippers scored 47 points in the first quarter. Paul George had 22, and it was not a matter of just this dude was on a hot streak and going crazy like we sometimes see Damian Lillard do. It was literally inside, mid-range, outside, everywhere. There was one play that typified it. George drove the lane and you would expect the defense to collapse and they kind of did but they could not defend Paul George six feet from the basket on the drive he was open they also had Zubac who was their center driving the baseline who was also wide open and George literally got to choose between a six foot little short shot wide open basically or a quick dump out for a dunk also wide open and if you're giving over if you're giving a six footer and a dunk away wide open either one that's really 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 super bad and they were now the cj mccullum rescued them a little bit norman powell had a huge game there 29 points because this is the other thing the clippers in turn really really focused on damian lillard and played playoff defense on him which was committing two defenders and by the way the clippers have them at point guard committing two defenders to lillard when he was three feet past the half court line he shot two of 14 they didn't let him get any good looks they lived with everyone else mccullum went off norman powell really went off it was awesome but basically everybody else had to go off and that didn't happen. Derek Jones Jr. missed his open outlet shots. Covington did okay. Carmelo did all right, but it wasn't decisive. The Blazers did make a comeback, but they were already down so far that it was just to make the game respectable. It wasn't to actually win it. And that is really, really damaging, both because the Clippers are in Portland's ballpark and maybe their first round opponent, but also because of the utter lack of situational awareness that this was an important game, as it obviously was to LA, and Portland came out with less than nothing. And that's really pretty disturbing. Yeah, you know, so I didn't get to see the game tonight. I was kind of following along and you were updating me a little bit, but I live in LA and the way the league pass is set up for whatever reason, I was blocked from seeing the game. So I didn't get to see it. That being said, it sounds to me like from what you said with, with them putting two defenders on Dame, first of all, that first quarter, let me just back up here. That first quarter, that shouldn't happen. There is no way. I mean, 47, did you say 47? 47 points 47 points now they didn't of course but that's a pace to score nearly 200 that was the most points given up in a first quarter in trailblazers history in 47 points is the entire score of an ncaa game like 
47 points is I have that in my head because I've been watching March Madness, but 47 points in one quarter is insane. That shouldn't happen. I mean, I'm sure that they're kicking themselves for that. Even with our struggle with defense, that shouldn't have happened. It makes you wonder where that came from, especially because they kind of came back in and pulled it out. Yeah, but, 17. Let's augment that. 17 of 22 shots went in in that quarter for the Clippers. Yeah. 17. And I, and, and I get I get sometimes a team is just on fire. I get it. I get that you hit your shots, you have a good night. But even if you're on fire and you're hitting your shots, if someone's hand is in your face, it's going to be a little harder to hit those shots. And I, again, you know, I didn't see it, so I didn't see how they played defense or didn't. But it seems like, I mean, 47 points, that's insane. Part of the problem is the Clippers are slightly taller than the Blazers. Okay. Yeah, Which we're is a short a team right problem, now. Right? Especially is, with Nurk out. Yeah, and the three-guard rotation. The three-guard rotation, right. yeah. So here's what happened. Part of the time, the Blazers didn't rotate. We know what that looks like. You know, when a player is too late getting out there and you see them take the dramatic, you know, triple jump out to the arc, but it's in slow motion. They know they're not getting there. The shooter knows they're not getting there. They're just making a show run at it. That happened about half the time. The other half of the time, they did manage to close, but when they closed, there's no way that they were going to alter the shot short of fouling the shooter. And that was a problem. It was also a problem inside because the people scoring inside were basically six foot seven to six foot nine. Right. And they looked like they were seven feet tall. Now, right. again, Yusuf Nurkic was out of this game, which takes away some of the height and all of the defense at the center position. But yeah. still, Nurk's not going to stop everything. He really, really, right. really would have helped. But you just cannot have six foot nine players going in the lane and getting any shot they want because your guys are six six or six three. Yeah. That's that's a little bit of a problem. And Granted, the Clippers have some of the most accomplished wings in the league. We get it. But Paul George is not that much of a wrecking ball. And by the way, Reggie Jackson, Pat Beverly, I mean, these guys were going off. DeMarcus Cousins, in the limited minutes he played, looked fantastic. The Blazers have got real problems. And it's not, again, at the beginning of the year, it was mostly closing. They're slow. They're not concentrating. Yeah, now, yeah, even when they do concentrate, they're not effective here's the thing though to me i mean you know me i'm gonna look on the bright side let's look at this a little differently a different scenario here if we had had nurk tonight we know that would have made a difference especially in that first quarter where it clearly we were just off i'd like to think that nurk would have helped with that defense he obviously is going to help with that height i would like to think that that would have helped to keep the scoring of the other team a little more in check we would have knocked down some scoring had we had Nurk there. Also, we have nights where these guys hit everything. Robert Covington has been doing that. He's been hitting everything. I don't know how his stats were tonight, but I think it sounded like he was a little bit off. He hit um, his threes. It just wasn't enough. So to me, if, if they've got two guys on Dame, that's leaving someone open all the time. So when we have Norman Powell and CJ McCollum and Robert Covington, who are all good shooters, then we should be doing better than we did. Again, it's hard for me to speak um, a lot on this because I didn't see it, but that gives me hope if we face the Clippers in the first round or whatever, that when we have Nurk back and we've got guys that are shooting, hopefully they'll be on 
this doesn't necessarily have to be an indication of how that will go. Yeah, basically, you've got it right. The guy who was often left open was Derek Jones Jr., and he's yeah. the one who couldn't come through. He was kind of the Al Farouk Aminu of the group. But I think more indicative is that the Clippers were employing that style. They were ready in a playoff style. And I think it mattered to them, A, because they know they're fighting for a spot, but B, because they know that Portland might be the team they draw and they don't right. want to leave any doubt. And they right. didn't. I mean, uh, again, put, put Nurkic back in and maybe it's a different game, but the Clippers seem to want to rub that in that even it doesn't matter who you put in here, we're going to house you. And they kind of did. And it's just, it's not disguisable anymore that the Blazers are weak against teams that know what they're doing and are talented. And here's the problem. Let's segue into this. The Blazers have 22 games left right now. Of those, 19, I believe, are against. There are only three teams that will not make the playoffs for sure. There are three matchups against teams that are in the ninth spot. Okay, so it might get a play in, but are close. So basically, you have 16 of those 22 against playoffs teams right now. You also have, I think, 15 of those teams have winning records. So all but seven will be against above 500 teams. Uh, all but six will be against playoff teams bound teams, and all but three will be against teams that possibly could make the playoffs. The schedule has just changed, beginning with tonight. And we knew the second half was going to be tough, and this is exactly why the second half was going to be tough. The Blazers against the Bucks and the Blazers against the Clippers were not a real good sign of what's to come. They have got to turn it around. Otherwise, I mean, this has a potential to, to drop them into the play-in. I don't see that happening. I know the potential is there. I would be really shocked if that's what ends up happening. I think that, you know, we've talked about the fact that the Blazers tend to play to the level of their opponents. We see that when they have a close game against a team that they should have beat and blown out of the water. We also see that with opponents that are better than them. A lot of times they'll end up playing to that level. We haven't seen that in these last few games, obviously, as you know, they're, they've had some losses, but it's there. The ability to do it is there. And so this is maybe, you know, here we go with my inability to think negatively, but I think we're coming into a harder schedule, whereas we've had an easier schedule. And I think that there's, there's so much of this game that's mental and they knew that that was an easier thing. They didn't have to play to that extent they were able to play down a little bit. Now they're going to have to. And so there's got to be a mental switch that flips that it's like, okay, we, we have to play to the best of our abilities. We have to leave it on the court. Like we cannot hold back. We have to pull this off. And there's a part of me, a very large part of me that is really convinced that they will do that. I really think that as they get into the second half of the season, we're going to see that happen. Now, I know th these last couple games that, you know, the Clippers and the Bucks, obviously that didn't happen, but I think we're getting there. I think we're, I think we're going to see it. I think it's coming. I mean, maybe I don't disagree. I have a hard time seeing the Blazers slip because so many times they haven't before, but they haven't excelled either. It feels like they're going to stay right kind of in the middle-ish or lower middle-ish. But here's the critique, and here's what really is resting on my heart and mind right now. The big story was CJ was going to come back and Nurk was going to come back and things are going to change. They haven't. I get Nurkic had an inflamed knee. He didn't play 
And I wonder, I I have no idea what happened, but you know that big dunk that everybody celebrated and he kind of landed weird on? I wonder how much, it's like, yay, Nurk finally does something. It would be ironic if if the inflammation came from that use in that game. Anyway, I have no idea. That's not official. I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm talking out my rear end here with that. But it's like, it feels like Nurk is not stable yet. You have to wonder how stable is he going to get or how long can the Blazers wait for him? They have no choice. But I mean, if he doesn't get stable to the last two weeks of the season, it's an issue. But here's the other thing. The bigger thing to me, CJ's back. I mean, this is pretty close to full form CJ and it's not making a difference. It's just not. You can't say it's not making a difference because even like tonight from, again, I didn't see the game, but had CJ not been there, how much more would we have lost by? Well, I mean, it is making a difference. Gary Trent, if Gary Trent were still back here and I know they trade him for Norman Powell, but what I'm comparing is, okay, injured Blazers earlier in the season with Trent and Anthony Simons. Okay. You, you got scoring from the shooting guard position. You got some defense, but not a ton, but at least Gary Trent tried hard. We've said this before. That basically was your shooting guard platoon, and it worked, and it produced X. CJ came back, and he's a much better player than either, but that position is still producing about X. (laughs) I mean, there may be a few more points. There's certainly more creativity and more potential threat, but this team is not looking better. This team is not looking better now, even full or close to full force. And I think that that's an incrimination against the roster construction, and it's a limitation on how much you can expect from the way this is set up. It's just not, there's not a magic thing where CJ's going to average 40 and then you add 20 points to the score and all of a sudden Portland's margin of victory becomes insurmountable and they become an elite team that's not there. They were actually a pretty decent team with other people manning that position. They're a pretty decent team with CJ manning that position. I don't think you can fix it from that position or with more scoring. Yeah, I mean, we've talked before about the fact that we are struggling on defense. We need help defensively, you know, right now, especially with, you know, adding Norman Powell and playing that three guard rotation were obviously a small team, you know, even, even when Nurk's on the floor, we're still a small team. And so there's going to be times where that's going to matter, where that's going to make a difference. We're simply pulling out one of these smaller guys and putting someone bigger in is going to help. Like there, there's going to be times where that's going to be true. We, it, it's no secret to anyone who follows Portland basketball at all that our defense is lacking. We know that. They know that. The coach knows that. The staff knows that. The players know that. Management, everybody knows that. That's not a secret. Our defense is lacking. I don't know where the fix is. I mean, we talked about the options before the midseason trade deadline, what the options were and where they could go. And obviously, like, there weren't a lot of good options. You and I even talked about that. It wasn't a lot of great options. And so I think that, you know, they did what they could with what they had. And that still leaves us in the same position. You know, essentially, Norm doesn't really fix a lot of the issues that we had before as much as I really like him. And I think he's a good fit for our team. We're still having the issues of height. We're still having the issues of defense. Those things are going to continue. And I don't know how you fix those. So because we're looking at this team and, and looking at the lack of defense and looking at the lack of height and, and looking at their, the fact that there's literally not a solution for us at this moment, we have to just hope that they can push through that 
and be creative and find other ways. And again, I know that this has kind of become a running joke that, you know, their defensive strategy is score 200 and hope it's enough. Like that's kind of become a a joke, but in all honesty, that's probably what it's going to come down to. It's going to come down to the fact that they are going to just have to outscore the other team because they can't play the defense they need to play to win. So they're going to have to outscore, which means Again, Norman Powell is a, is a good addition for that. He's been really doing well. He's been, I mean, he had what, 29 points tonight? Yep. So he's a good addition to that. You know, CJ's scoring a lot of points. We know Dane can score a lot of points. Robert Covington's percentages are are high up. Like you said, Derek Jones Jr. struggled tonight, and I think that there's going to be struggle. But if we can get everybody shooting to their potential, at least to some degree, that's going to be our best bet because our defense is not going to do it. A couple of things are going to be interesting here, and we need more games to figure it out. But here's what I'd like to look at. After the trade, did Portland's overall points per game go up? And again, it doesn't matter right now because it's only been like right. six games. We need to look right. in about two weeks after you know right. tw- 20 games or so. Number two, look at the top three scorers on average in given games. That would, That's going to be Dame, CJ, and probably Robert Covington most of the time, but whatever. Okay. Then look at the top three scorers after. Did those top three really increase the scoring of the top three? Or did the scoring just kind of shift from one to another? Like tonight, Norman Powell had 29, which is fantastic. But Dame had 11, which is 19 below his season average. So, I mean, in in essence, the Blazers didn't pick up anything or didn't pick up much. Maybe one or two points. Now, again, we say margin of victory is less than one. So one or two points can be conclusive uh, on uh, long-term average. But if it's really only one or two more points with this new lineup, I don't think this new lineup is going to, to have a great effect. And I'm just looking at it right now. I'm looking at not just defensively, but in terms of taking control of games and stuff. And again, you're going to tell me, okay, not you, but people, listeners are going to tell me, okay, Detroit, that was great. They took control of it. And Oklahoma City, that's great. They took control of it. But terrible, terrible, terrible teams. You better take control of it. I mean, it's expected. If there's a bowl of ice cream in front of you, you're expected to eat it. When you have liver and onions, that's the test of your gastronomical prowess, okay? And the Blazers aren't digesting this. The Blazers are turning up their noses uh, when they get a a good team. And they're not taking, at no point were they in control of that Bucks game. Never. And they were in control of the Clippers game really even less. They they the Clippers eased up in the second quarter, started shooting stupid shots because they were up 25 and they were razzle dazzling it. As soon as the Clippers came out in the second half, it was like, no, okay, we're not gonna we're not gonna lose this. Again, Portland got within two, that's fine. Some shots fell, but as soon as the shots stopped falling, long story short, at no point was Portland in charge of this game. The Clippers were in charge from from buzzer to horn or tip to horn. So uh, that's a problem. And the Blazers have got to show that they can go out and change the course of the game with something besides hot shooting, or this is over because playoff teams will take away your hot shooting. I think it's coming, Dave. I think it's coming. I think we're going to see it. I just, I have to hold out hope that, that, that it's coming. That's my stance on this. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not over. It's going to happen. We're going to get there. If it doesn't, they need to change it. I mean, I'm, I've become more and more. I was convinced. You know, obviously, I've been convinced of this for a couple of years. I was really convinced of it at the trade deadline. There's no more. 
there's no more left. This is like a bad relationship where someone promises they'll change and they call kind of mediocre good. They never do the dishes. They never do anything. They say they'll change. They do one dish and then they say, well, this is the way it should be. Uh, okay. We need to call an end to this at this point and say, okay, the dishes are not getting done. <laughs> We're doing all the emotional labor. This isn't changing. It's time to move on. And I, I will accept the hope, I will accept the whatever, but reading this, this is not promising. And it needed to be. And this is the thing. This is the exact week or two when it absolutely needed to be. And their first couple moves in this week have been bad. So at this point, I'm legitimately not hopeful. To add to that, we had two open roster spots. And those have now been filled. We've got Rondé Hollis-Jefferson on a 10-day contract and TJ Leaf on a two-way deal. They will be joining us. With the roster we have, probably neither one are going to see a whole lot of playing time, is my guess. But it's good, especially with the history of injury and the way that we, you know, we've had to deal with that. It is, it is good to have a full roster. Okay. Yeah. Hollis-Jefferson. Blazers drafted him actually back in 2015, traded him away. But I think that was the Plumlee deal, if I recall correctly. Yes, I minute. believe it was. That said, good defender, always has been. Six foot six, kind of small forward, can swing to power forward a little bit, but that wasn't great. He can defend. So this is a classic Portland move. It's somebody who, with a solid skill that they got for nothing. Okay. Here's the, the problem. He can't hit threes to save his life. Never has been able to, never will be able to. He's decent as a two-point shooter, but he doesn't produce points and he cannot shoot outside. So again, what's the utility? I mean, this is an end of the bench player for sure. I mean, at least if you get a DeMarcus Cousins, you might hope in the best of all worlds in a playoff game he comes in and turns one playoff game somehow ronde hollis jefferson is almost certainly not going to turn any playoff games probably won't play hardly at all his big calling card besides the defense is he has played a lot of games in a five-year career he's averaged almost 60 games per season so he has a lot and double digit minutes about 22 minutes per game 23 so he's experienced he can you you aren't ashamed to put him on the court he's just not going to give portland what they need so it's one of those we got to fill our 14th spot there it is but also, I mean, it's a defensive player, which we keep saying we need. And, you know, I mean. Sure, but you can't. Is he a, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it, does it make a sound? If a player is a defensive player, but you can't play him, is he actually a defensive right, player? Right, That's right. The no, no, you're right. I mean, it doesn't help. It doesn't help a lot. But if you have to add a player, yeah. you know, if, if we need to fill a roster spot, you might as well fill it with somebody who can do that if. We, I don't know. Yeah, I don't not know. Not bad. Not bad. Not, you know, it's not, it's not a bad move. It's just not an effective move. It's, it, it, this is classic. The Trailblazers. I mean, it's like, it's like the soy filler in your food or whatever, in your school lunch, as we keep saying. Like, okay, the soy filler doesn't taste bad. It tastes like meat. It, it, it fills out the burger and makes it bigger. Great. But it's not like a meal and it's not going to change this meal. That's basically what Hollis Jefferson is. TJ Leaf as well played in Indiana for three seasons. He's on the two-way contract. Uh, he is an efficient scorer, 
but he is also not a three-point shooter. He barely attempts any, and uh, his career percentage is 34%, but that's only because he was kind of lights out in the few shots he took his rookie season. Last two seasons, he's been 26 and 28% from the arc, which is below the Derek Jones Jr. line. He's a forward, uh, so he's going to, if he actually plays, he's going to bring a little size. He's six foot ten. You know, again, not horrible. And yeah, the Blazers needed forwards, so good. I mean, they got some forwards, but yeah, I mean, these are hardly decisive moves. I mean, these are moves that are short-term patches, maybe, or speculative for the future in Leafs case. I don't see this changing anything. Right, they essentially fill holes that we keep saying we need with, you know, defense and height. But like you said, when you're talking about 14th and 15th players... It didn't really fill the holes. JaVale McGee, DeMarcus Cousins. I could find yeah. reasons to get excited about that. Even with DeMarcus being a little slower. I mean, he had some nice plays. Now, granted, Portland wasn't defending well. But right. in his limited minutes, he not only scored okay, his lift wasn't there. You could see that. But he made some nice plays on the perimeter and the interior in terms of knowing when and how to set picks, where to make the pass, court vision, stuff like that. He has that. He made a difference. Might have been a small difference, might not be repeatable a whole lot, but it was there. TJ Leafs, not going to do that. Uh, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, right. not going to do that. Yeah, Norman Powell, great. Another six foot three guard, not great. I mean, even though I love right. Norman Powell, I agree with right. you. It's the right move, okay? But this was given not- Given the options, it was a good move, yeah. Yeah, but it was just, ah, uh, just, J- JaVale yeah. McGee, how did you, if JaVale McGee was available, I think he would have made a little bit of a difference. I mean, at least but get you also, look at But you also have to take, you have to take into account, too, that we don't know all the ins and outs of what was going on. Maybe they tried. Maybe they tried to get him and they couldn't. There's more to it than just saying we want him and that's that. Well, yes, you're right about that. But at some point, all these other rivals that the Blazers have are actually picking up these players. And yes, some of it is the Lakers because they're the Lakers. But you know what? The Denver Nuggets are not the Lakers and they still got somebody. So what does that mean? That means they had more assets that were more attractive to get those deals done. Why doesn't Portland have those assets? Because they won't move the assets that we have. The assets that we have are frozen. We cannot move them. They're staying put. So when you have so few choices, you can't make moves like that. If you're not willing to move some of these bigger assets, I hate talking about humans like they're money. I know, but, but like when you're contracts but and yeah, talent, yes. When when you have when you when things are tied up, when you're not willing to move people, then you're not going to be able to get the people that you might want. Unfortunately, for Neil and for me. We don't get to have a 30-man roster. We have to actually let people go in order to get more. And and that's just not something that is really happening right now with the Blazers. Yeah, well, also, the players they are willing to let go aren't worth much. I mean, we can go back to Myers-Leonard draft. Uh, we but really, Dave, to- we don't have a lot of pe- players that are worth, I mean, to the Blazers, they're worth a lot. But we don't have big a lot of big. It's not like we have all these big names, and Dame Dame isn't going anywhere. And really, even if we wanted to let go, like CJ's not going anywhere. You know, they're not going to trade him. Right. They just traded Gary. If they were going to trade CJ, they would have kept Gary, signed Gary, and traded CJ and done something else with him. 
they're keeping CJ. CJ's not going anywhere. Well, and that's the epitaph is you, you drafted Lillard and you drafted McCollum and that's what you did. You you blew 2016 with those with the cap space you had and didn't get anybody who either changed the course of the team that much or proved to be enough of an asset that you could trade them later for someone who would, which is kind of what Denver did, right? Then you have the 2017 draft and you've got Zach Collins, who is basically a paperweight at this point on the trade market. Yeah. Again, I love Zach. I, I love right. CJ. I love all these players. I even Evan Turner. I'm glad Evan Turner was part of this team because you know what? <laughs> Evan Turner was freaking funny. And I, I, actually I miss like him. his game. I like the way he plays, okay? But when you look at what spends, if you look at why other teams are able to either sign or yeah. trade for these assets that would help Portland, that's it. Portland did not build up enough in the bank. And we say, well, the Blazers can't make this move and no one come here. But that's not a cosmic universal. No, no they know, could. They could. They could make some of these moves. They could. They won't. There's a difference. There's a difference in, in the ability or having the assets to do it versus being willing to give up those assets and actually make the move. And, they, and they're not going to. The Blazers don't have assets to make more than a lateral move at this point except for right. there might be an app but they don't that's different than what you just said it's not that they won't they can't and if you are willing okay to trade, that's fair if you're willing to trade cj maybe but you know what there is even question of how much cj is really worth with that contract and again i believe that he is one of the premier offensive players in this league who by the way is not getting to show all his stuff all the junk in the trunk doesn't get to come out on a nightly basis but with that contract which is almost lillard-esque cj is not damian lillard i mean right. and cj is not a, a you know Kawhi leonard and he's making a lot of money that the blazers i think in many ways appropriately awarded him with get your bag man it's it's i'm not i don't regret that contract at all right but we, there's also a hidden premise like, well, if they were just willing to trade CJ, is it possible they no. can't? Is no, it possible well, I, they ca they cannot get value even for him? I don't think it's that they can't. We've talked about this even on here before. You're not going to get what he's worth. What he's worth to the Blazers, you're not going to get. So if you go and trade CJ, you're not going to get an improvement. You're not going to bring someone in who's who's worth what we're giving up. People are real quick to forget the fact that CJ carried this team at the beginning of the season. Dame was struggling. He wasn't playing the way that he normally does. And, and now, you know, he's in talks for the MVP as he should be. But the fact of the matter is his season did not start out like an MVP season. He did not start out strong. CJ was the one that was carrying the trailblazers at the beginning of the season. So CJ is a solid good asset for us and i you know you're right in that we don't get to see everything that he has to offer because we have other players like dame but i don't think that we can take cj and get someone who is going to have the same value to the blazers as cj has to the blazers i think we're going to lose value if we try to trade him because no one else is going to value him in that same way if that, i'm not sure if that's I, I get what you're saying. I'm just to, off but... that train now. I, I'm off that train this year because I think that Trent and Simons provided much of CJ's value, uh, even yeah, though he's a better player. And also, I think, by the way, Norman Powell as the starting shooting guard would be able to replace CJ sufficiently so that you could trade CJ away for even less value than CJ is inherently, and the Blazers would still end up with more because you'd have a more settled roster. You can't shove me off the CJ train. I am holding on 
full speed well, we got, on I, the CJ train. Well, I like, I, but I like CJ. I'm on his train as far as he's a great player. I'm right. just saying this this idea of he's super valuable to the Blazers. I don't think so anymore. I do. I, I, think I don't he think is. I don't think he has extra value to the Blazers more than any other team. I think at this I point his, his value to the Blazers is replaceable, and it was replaceable by Trent and Simons, and it is replaceable by Powell and Simons. And if they traded him for someone at another position who was good, that they would end up with more with Powell and that player than they will end up with with CJ and Powell. Maybe I think any player is and, replaceable. And by the way, so by the way, uh, Powell may not be here as we talked about last week. So they right, sure end up right. with more than if CJ and nobody. I think any player is replaceable. You can make that argument for literally anyone, even Dame. You could make the argument that he's replaceable. I don't think that that means that you should replace them. And I don't. I, I just think that there's a whole lot more to that. I don't think it would be a smart move. I don't think if the right move came along, then I could possibly get on board with trading CJ, but I don't think it's there. We, I don't think it's been there. I don't think that, I don't think that the options that were there at this day, de- I don't think that there was one that was worth trading him. So if there was, if there was someone that was worth that move, then, then talk to me then, but we're not there. There hasn't been somebody that's been worth that. That's been the argument for years and I used to buy it, but I don't not, I, th- I think that the definition of right has hugely expanded. I'm not saying that there hasn't been ever. I'm saying that this year, mid-season trade deadline, there was not the move. In my opinion, I don't see a move that was worth trading, CJ. Well, that's probably correct because you're isolating it to a mid-season 48-hour span. But bet there have been moves in the past that would make you think twice. The problem was always was to move lateral. You lose, you give a void at shooting guard to fill a void at small forward. You haven't gotten ahead. That void at shooting guard is not there anymore behind CJ. There's people behind CJ now. And I think we are seeing it literally this year. And I think we saw it when CJ was out. Therefore, the definition of getting ahead now that that position can be accounted for has gotten much, much broader than it once was like three years ago. And by the way, I would have considered trading CJ three years ago and did. But I think now it's nearly an imperative. And I think, again, the reason we bring this up again is like literally you're seeing it against teams right now that the Blazers are not better when he's back. They're not better. They're still good. They're still about as good as they were. That's not bad. They're not better. They're not elite with him. And if they're going to be elite, I think it's going to have to be, they're going to have to make a move to get there that doesn't involve keeping this roster entirely intact. and building around the edges you know, I have to agree to disagree on this one i mean i i'm not i i don't entirely disagree i think that i think you make some some good points i don't think you're wrong necessarily but i disagree on some of it it'll be interesting to see what happens the difference for me now is i'm off the fence i was always at least had one toe on the fence if not you know, holding on, just leaning over the edge. And at different times, I was like, don't trade CJ. You know, you waffle back and forth. But I think it's done now. It's it's I've seen enough. And I think that I'm off the fence that they've got to move him, even though I love him and have loved and valued what he has given to this. One of the best players to ever put on a uniform as a trailblazer. Certainly one of the best guards. I mean, if you're making a, he's definitely in the top 10. I think he's probably in the top five guard list. Period, period, period. I'm rehearsing in my, you know, Drexler, Lillard. Uh, I think Porter's in there, obviously. You've got some others. But CJ, I think, there's no way I think CJ doesn't make the top five. 
of, yeah. of guards ever to suit up. So, hey, uh, I respect him that much, value him that much. Still time to go a different direction. We did make a trade. We traded Gary Trent Jr. for and, and Rodney Hood for Norman Powell. You know, it's been interesting to watch this kind of unwrap, not unravel. Well, it has kind of, but also. <laughs> my brain, my brain is so tired. I cannot, the words you know, are Tuesday in my brain and they're just not quite tough. coming yeah. out. See, yeah. what happens, guys, is we have West Coast game on Tuesday night. So we don't even start until like 11 my time. So like, it's. Right, it's in, late. In any case, uh, watch this unfold. Unfold, there's the word, yeah. there it is. But the interesting part um, is less norm than Gary Trent. Yeah, you know, first of all, first of all, I want to say this. You know, every now and then I bring up the Twitter things that happen. If you're not on Twitter, I'm sorry for this, but there's a lot that happens there that has to do with all this stuff. And one of the things that was so much fun to watch and and is still happening is my timeline is slowly becoming inundated with Raptors posts. And what has happened over the last couple weeks is that Portland and Toronto have kind of become friends <laughs> because Norm Powell was very loved in Toronto and Gary Trent was obviously very loved in Portland. And so what happened is fans of both these teams are kind of saying to the fans of the other team, Hey, take care of our guy. We really love him. And then continuing to follow their careers. So it's, it's just been this kind of cool meshing of, of these two fandoms and i'm somebody that really enjoys seeing things like that happen i one of the things that i've talked about over and over is that i love how sports brings people together people you wouldn't normally who wouldn't normally come together can bond over commonalities and over things that they enjoy together and i think that this is one of those times where you have two different teams from two different literally countries that are kind of bonding together over their mutual love of these two players. And that's really cool. I really enjoy that. On that note, Gary Trent Jr. seems to have found his spot. He hit a game winner the other night. You know, it was Damian Lillard style, <laughs> pulled up from the three, hit a, a shot to, um, I think it was like 100 to 101. And he hit, a, a, I believe it was a three-point shot to win the game for the team, which was really cool to see. I saw he was a plus 54 in one of the games, which was, I think, a franchise record, if I'm not mistaken. It's really hard to be plus 54. It's, it's really, yeah. that's a granted, lot of plus. Granted, they killed the other team, yeah. but still, like, that was, that was a big deal. You know, he just, he seems to be thriving there. He's a starter, which I'm happy for him for. He seems to just really be doing well. You know, he's scoring 16.7 points per game, shooting 41.9% from the arc, 44.8% from the field. All three of those stats have increased in his time with the Raptors. He just seems to be fitting. There's a clip that was circulating from today's game against the Lakers where he's, you know, there was a, a truffle, truffle, not a truffle, that's a chocolate a scuffle. Or, or a French, like, kind of fungus. <laughs> There was a truffle in the game. No, that would be the Clippers. They have Nicola Batum now. They were sharing truffles under the right. There was a scuffle. Oh, man. There was a, there was a scuffle. scuffle. Thank yeah. you. Um, <laughs> I'm just over here making up my own words. Um, they there was different a, in LA. <laughs> yeah. There was a scuffle 
between one of his teammates and the Lakers and Gary, he, he was right in it. And it's, you know, I, I like to see that he is, he's not on the edge. He's not on the outside. He has very much taken on this team as his own and he's owning that. And I love it for him. I'm really happy to see him. He's one of those players that you really love that I knew needed to go. I, I knew it, but at this, you know, because of all the things we've talked about before, but at the same time, you hate to see him go because you you like we he, we drafted him. His dad played for us. There's you know, there's an attachment. And so it's nice to see him really doing well in Toronto. Hope we don't say should have kept him. I mean, it's it's that's that's a possibility. I mean, Contractually, we always have to remember his contract was coming up. If they weren't going to move CJ, he wasn't going to stay anyway. You, but, I feel like there's always going to be players that you're going to do that with, though. There's always going to be players where but, you think, man, he's playing better there than he was playing here. So just because he goes on and thrives somewhere else, sometimes it's not the right fit. And maybe he needed to be in a different place to, to do. Let me have that, Dave. I see your face. Let me have that. OK, you can have it because <laughs> but they maybe should have traded CJ and gone with Gary Trent. And there you go. No. That would have been my argument. But that said, I, I love the Blazers' reaction after Trent hit the game winner. Um, I yes. also love, as you point out, these watch Lillard do this. And this is really funny because I think it's taken over the Blazers. I think it's in their culture now. Yep. You're so used to seeing Dame do this that it almost ain't no thing. And I'm not saying it's right. not I'm not saying it's not impressive. It's totally impressive. Right. But you know, last minute shots, there's always like this tension, this nervousness, this whatever, often even in the person of the shooter who's taking it. Dame right. seems to have none of that. He's just like, this is just normal. This is what I do. This is a Wednesday night. What do you want? I'm going to win this. It's kind of spread. No matter who's taking, and by the way, it's also kind of spread to last, you know, 24 second clock shots. Now, granted, the Blazers don't take a lot of those. They try to get in their offense quickly. But if you watch, it's not just Dame and Carmelo, who should be the two who are calm taking them. Nearly every Blazer looks pretty good launching against the buzzer. And it feels like Dame... Like it's part of that. He just walks assured, and, and now it's just like, oh yeah, it's a, it's a buzzer beater. Okay, and it's fun to see Trent go to another franchise. Just like, oh, you, you, you we're gonna do this. Okay, this do is it. what I, I just do. Did it. Yeah, of course. Right. And it's, it's like, not a big deal. Wow. I was like thinking, first of all, ten years ago, anyone taking a three from to win a game that was like the ultimate. That was like the equivalent of a grand slam in a baseball game, a walk off grand slam. You were going like, this is what you pretended to do on the on the playground if you wanted the ultimate scenario, three pointer to win it. Who can imagine that? Now it's like, yeah, of course I'm taking a three to win it. Right. Uh, Damian. Lillard has been part of that revolution, and I think that that is it's just fun to see. It's fun to see Trent do it. Uh, I think everybody wishes him well, and yeah. hey, you know, great spot. Finally got to start. Love it. I wish the Raptors, uh, it would be fun to see him get playoff experience. That will be the litmus test because there are a lot of growth. There's a lot of growth that young players go through. There's like several stages. You, you First of all, you learn the game. Then you excel for the first time. Then the league notices you and clamps down. Then you learn how to beat that. Then they really focus on you. Then you learn how to beat that. He's like on rung two of that ladder, but he looks good on rung two. And I hope that he yeah. gets to climb all the way to the top. Agreed. He's getting attention for sure. And I think, you know, I it's been several episodes ago, but we talked about the fact that I feel like Gary needs to be on a team that he can be 
a star on the team. He can fill the role that Dame fills for Portland. I feel like that's what Gary wants. And I feel like maybe that's part of why he's thriving the way that he is, is because he's been being given that chance in Portland. That was not going to be as long as Dame was there, as long as CJ was there, Gary Trent was not going to fill that role. And in Toronto, he is really able to step into that and kind of take that on. And I think that's something he wanted. And I think he's stepped up and, and is playing to that level because of it. So I'm, I'm happy for him. It's funny because I had ordered a Gary Trent Jr. jersey knowing that this was going to happen, knowing that he was going to get traded. And I got a message from the person that I ordered it from and that said, do you want me to try to change it? And I was like, no, I ordered it knowing that Gary was going to be gone because no matter where he is, he was on the Blazers. He was somebody that I really liked on the Blazers and I will always be a fan. Yeah, I think we're going to follow his career. For sure. What else do we have on the docket? Well, on on the flip side of that, we have Norman Powell who joined us and, you know, and these are interesting statistics to look at, but so he's been shooting an average of 15.2 points per game, 45.8% from the arc, 45.6% from the field. Those stats are going to go up after tonight because this is a very small sampling of games that he's been with us for. And so the stats from the game tonight, which were very good for him, are going to, I would assume, pretty substantially change what I just read and make it even better. Um, so he is a slight improvement as far as that goes from from Gary. I think it was a good trade. I think it was a good trade for both of us. I really hope he's going to end up sticking around. I, I know that that's a, a possibility that he won't. I We've talked about this. I think we talked about it last week, so we don't need to go deep into that. But man, he's been, he's been fun to watch. I, I'm getting attached already. Yeah, on the run? In transition, which the Blazers don't do much, but also going downhill toward the rim and scoring at the rim. He brings them yeah, something different. And, I mean, CJ doesn't do this. CJ, the, right. he's he's allergic. to He gets hives when he gets down in the restricted areas. So, look, he and, and Powell is able... By the way, Damian Lillard can score at the rim and does, but he always takes a beating down there. Yeah. So, Powell can Norm kind of go just in and has this. He just has this kind of grace about him how he weaves in and out. I don't know entirely how he does it, but he, he gets down there and he gets up under that rim and he just kind of weaves through the player. And it's just, it's really cool to watch him do this. He does it really well. And over and over and over, I think, Oh man, this is bad. And then he scores and it's not bad and it's done really well. And so, yeah, I think he adds that. Whereas we don't really have, cause you're right. Dame can do it, but it's not pretty. He ends up beat up. Norm just kind of slithers around those defenders and is able to to pop it in there. It's it's because it's, everyone's watching Dame. I mean, Norm doesn't draw double teams at this point. It can't because then you're going to leave one of the other guards open. Right, right. So it's not a bad. That part is not a bad. It's just getting everything else to fall into place with it. So well, well and the the yeah. huge stat is the one you read first, which is almost forty six percent from the three point arc. And again, small sample size, but. Once upon a time, guards were expected to shoot, you know, 42, 43%. That was not bad for a guard. And then a really good guard shot about 45%. That's overall field goal percentage. Shooting 46% from the three-point arc is huge. I mean, those are are three-point specialist numbers, but Norm isn't a three-point specialist. He's more or less an all-around guard. He's certainly an all-around scoring guard. So that's a big, 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 big deal. 
Uh, and if he's able to keep up even close to that rate, if he stays above 40%, he's really going to help. Again, you have to ask, would he help more than Gary Trent? If you said DeMarcus Cousins might help you in a playoff game, I think chances are substantially greater that Norman Powell will help you in more than one. So in that sense, it's a good move. And probably Norman Powell will be a better playoff weapon than Gary Trent Jr. would have been. That's yeah, fine. I agree. How much better? Uh, will it be enough? And the litmus test, as we talked about, does he stick around? Or did you give away Gary Trent? Oh, you weren't keeping anyway. But symbolically, did you give away Gary Trent for a rental? That's going to be a bitter pill. But that said, Norman Powell, no complaints. Love what he's brought. I hope he gets to show way more. And I hope, as you say, he gets to be on a Portland roster where he can really play his natural game and not worry about yeah. it. I think that could be pretty darn exciting. The only other thing that I wanted to talk about is Space Jam. I know it's a little off topic. Go for it. But for those of you who maybe have not seen, there is a second Space Jam movie that's coming out. It's produced by LeBron James Company. Spring Hill, I believe is what it's called. And LeBron James stars as the main character, you know, who gets thrown into this tune world and has to play this basketball game against you know, with the Toon Squad against the Goon Squad and in order to win his son back, I believe, is the plot, roughly. <laughs> so Damian Lillard stars next to LeBron James. It is apparently a fairly substantial role. He is one of the, I think, the head Goon Squad. So he's technically a bad guy. We've seen the previews where he is shown as a cartoon robot character. He's got like the it looks like him. It really, they, they made it look like him. And he's got like the Dame time big clock on his shoulder. As a kid who grew up in the 80s and 90s and loved the original Space Jam movie, I'm super excited about this. I'm really looking forward to it. And I think it's so cool. You know, it's interesting because LeBron seems to be a huge fan of Dame. This is, again, his company that that is producing this movie, putting it out there. And so I'm assuming he had a little bit of say in, in who was part of the project and, you know, gave Dame a, a substantial role. And I think that that's just one more thing that Dame can add to his list of accomplishments and just a really fun, cool thing for those of us who grew up in that era of, of the first one. And as a kid who grew up in the 80s and 90s, you can now show your little card and get in the matinee for $5 with this. <laughs> Can I? Wait, really? I don't know. Maybe. How old do you have to be to do that? This I don't know, but you get between closer. that and my buffet. I'm like, I'm going to be a cheap date. <laughs> exactly. That'd be good. <laughs> I used to take my son to all kinds of movies. It was it was fun. We would make a day of it, and we would yeah. drive to the movie theater, and then afterwards we would go to the walk around place, which was the buffet. And he just loved <laughs> that. And I remember my little boy. He's gigantic now. He's way taller than you are, uh, and he's he's. <laughs> He's up to my shoulder and starting his voice is starting to crack. But I still remember my little boy. So we never saw Space Jam, but we might try to see Space Jam too. It'd be cool. I've been trying to get my kids to watch Space Jam. And my daughter, for whatever reason, has something against Bugs Bunny and just refuses to watch. And so I think I'm going to get her when I tell her that Damian Lillard is in the second one. But we have to watch the first one in order to see it. I think I can convince her. My kids watch they've just discovered looney tunes a little bit we don't watch a lot 
but they're like, what the hell, man? It's like he just sh- full yeah. out shot him. <laughs> like, yeah. What, I, what yeah. are you watching? They can't like... <laughs> They can't, it like, is kind of wild. Why did he shoot him? Because well, yeah. I guess because the shooting itself was funny. I don't know. Which of course nowadays that's horrible. I mean, right? Um, you know, right. God bless everybody looking for gun control laws and stuff like that. But I'm what I'm trying to get at is the culture shock of right. like yeah. literally look at that guy. <laughs> you know, uh, but all the things that are just yeah we grew up with and we were like yeah whatever and it's like they're they have no part in their experience. Yeah. No. Yeah, my kids don't really like Looney Tunes. I don't really know why. I, I'm not sure where that came from. That must have been something that happened with their dad because <laughs> it's the first I've heard of it. Yeah. But I'm I'm working real hard on it, and I think that Dame will be um, at least a push for my daughter. I think I can get her with that. So I'm I'm definitely I. And if not, then I'll go by myself. <laughs> I'm exactly. gonna I'm gonna go see the movie. I'm excited about it. Um, <laughs> the only thing worse than a senior citizen with their card for Space Jam Two is a senior citizen going alone. That's okay. I am not a senior citizen. I am 35. <laughs> I haven't. I didn't realize that's what you were implying, you just, and now I'm you just insulted. Think like a senior citizen. That's okay. <laughs> Look, but, all all I'm saying is it's good to get a good night's sleep. Okay, that's it. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying your fiber. That's why they make Metamucil. Yeah, I know. I, I'm aware. Need some extra I never iron. said anything about any of that. In fact, the buffet thing is something you came up with. <laughs> so, for, for Tia Miller, uh, <laughs> I am young and yet springy, Dave Deckard. <laughs> Grandma Dia and I will be back next week. <laughs> and hopefully we'll be able to talk about some actual victories. Everybody cross your fingers. The schedule gets rougher. But we're going to talk about some wins, right? Yes. Yes. All they're, the wins. They're all, all the, the wins. wins. They're going to be all the wins next week. All the wins. You come back. This Milwaukee thing and this Clippers thing was just an aberration. It was just a weird change of. It was a warm up. The moon was wrong or whatever. So all the wins next week. We will see you soon. A hater sees an opening down the lane, moves towards the hoop, but then Dia comes out of nowhere to swap the shot attempt away, saying, "Get that weak stuff out of here." Dave scoops up the loose ball. Now it's a fast break the other way with Dia. She's flying down the court. Dave sends her an alley-oop. She jams it. Boom, shakalaka. The crowd is on its feet saluting Dia. I tell you, if she isn't the rookie of the year, they really ought to just stop giving the award. What a talent. <laughs>